This is Tape 2 of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven, by Dr. Joel Hunter. The subject of this message is, How to Study Heaven. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And from the New International Version, it reads as follows. All scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number two, How to Study Heaven, in this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. Well, as much kidding as we've done, after this morning's sermon, you may, you may want a children's sermon. This is going to really challenge us all intellectually. Uh, but the reason that, that we have sermons like this morning periodically is that before we go into the, the Christian's perspective of heaven and, and teach you how it's different than any other perspective of heaven, it's different from the primitive society, it's different from the modern religions, it's certainly different from modern America's uh, understanding of what heaven will be like. Before we get into that pictorial sense, we need to answer a very basic question for those of you who wish to be competent and mature Christians. And that question is this. How do we know? How do we know what we know? Last Monday night, I was, after, after I got done uh, preaching that sermon, I was fired up about heaven. Some woman came up and... and uh, just look, I mean, I love this. I love this about the congregation here. I mean, you guys just ask, you know. You don't just sit there and yeah. So she comes up, she gets right in my face. She goes, she said, <clears throat> how do you know heaven's going to be all that great? I said, I was taken back. And you never think of somebody thinking heaven might not be all that great. And I said, well, it says so right here. Swear, you know. Well, her question is one that most people ask. How do you know this stuff? As a matter of fact, there is a science of the study of knowledge. And that study of how we know what we know is called epistemology. And so this morning, we're going to go through, in a very fast pace, epistemology 101. That is, how the world knows about the world. Epistemology 202. That is, how the faithful know about the world in Epistemology 303, that is, how the faithful know the purpose and the residence of God in the world, okay? So that you can, those of you who stay awake, I'm telling you, this is going to be a boring sermon, uh, you know, you've, but you know what? Even when things are boring, the Spirit of God can operate. Did you ever, did you ever realize that? You know, when John Wesley got saved, he went to a Bible study, and, and the one that he didn't feel like going to... And somebody was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. I mean, you talk about boring. And John Wesley said, during that meeting, I felt my heart strangely warmed. You know, so God can move even in the midst of what I'm about to do. <clears throat> Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we will begin reading, I think, in verse 12. It says, and indeed, this is reading from the New American Standard, and indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, Paul's talking to Timothy here, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, he's including himself, but also his mother and grandmother who taught Timothy from a very early age. You know, the age that a Jewish boy would begin to be taught the scriptures was five years old. He uses a Greek word in the next verse that is even younger than five. It's it's the word for an infant. That from childhood, from infancy, you have known the sacred writings which are able, that is a present participle in Greek, it means it has a continuing ability has a continuing ability in your life, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That, here's the purpose, that the man of God may be adequate. The Greek word here means complete, or it could, it's a correspondent to the word telos, which means mature. That the man of God may be mature, equipped for every good work. Now let's go back to this first verse, or this 13th verse, I'm sorry, <clears throat> as the basis for Epistemology 101. How the world knows about the world. It says in here, evil men will proceed, I'm getting a little ring up here. Where's my, where's the sound man? The sound man's gone! Oh no! Somebody kidnapped the sound man. Um, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now I want you to see a pattern here. Where's it here? This is from a broad perspective to a narrow perspective. The word evil in Greek is paneros. And it not only means evil and bad and and wicked and so on and so forth, but there's also a sense in which it means narrowing. When when, when Jesus says, as recorded in the sixth chapter of Matthew, um, that the the bad, uh, but but everyone with a bad eye, his light will be filled with with darkness. It's literally poneros eye, evil eye. And it means... Grudging. It's a, it was, a, it was a, a Hebrew idiom to mean stingy or narrow or grudging. And so when you give somebody the evil eye, what do you do? You narrow your eyes, see? Just squint your eyes like that. Well, that's the spirit in which the knowledge of the world has come from broadness down to evil, from deceiving down to self-deceiving, from encompassing all truth down to self-truth. Now, let me just... Trace that philosophical pattern for you uh, as quickly as I can. First of all, the reason I have on the sermon outline, Plato and Aristotle underlined, is because the ancients came closer to true wisdom than anyone since. They came closer because they were always looking for a transcendent cause. Plato and Aristotle were both searching for God even though they didn't know his name. Plato said the real reality is in the forms that transcend the earth. Aristotle said there are four causes for everything that's made. The first two have to do with the the material cause, which is the ingredients, the efficient cause, which is the energy that it takes to make it. But the last two applied to those things which transcend it. The formal cause means what design was this made from? There has to be some ultimate design from which this thing was made. And the final cause 
Aristotle said is, what is the purpose of this thing? So you see, they were searching for something that transcended the earth. And in the intellectual world, for the first 15th centuries, there was the concentration on searching for the source of knowledge beyond the earth. But in the 16th and 17th centuries, the tide changed. And, and it, it, it began narrowing down onto the person and the ability of the person himself. Now, this is not to say that God can't reveal himself through the natural world. It says in Romans 1 that God does reveal himself through the creation. It, also, it, says, it, it, it means that God hints at himself through nature and through the conscience of man and through the, the native abilities of man. But, it says that's not the, you can't reach him like that. But, but let me get back to this. With Descartes and much later Kant, there was the assumption that we find objective truth by virtue of our reason. Now, here's the problem with that. Analysis, no matter how effective and complete, can't comprehend some of the most important things in life. You can know that simply from looking at the characters of Star Trek and Spock. That would be the ultimate, ultimate rationalist, the ultimate person operating only by reason. Spock and his successor, Data, who can reason out a great deal but can't quite grasp this thing called love. You see, they can't quite get on board with that because that's not a reasonable thing. Some of you husbands, you know, just miss the boat entirely when your wife says, you know what, you don't treat me romantically anymore. And you say, well, well tell me what to do and I'll do it. It just went over your head. You know, give me a reasonable way to approach this thing and I'll try to do it. No, you just missed the entire point, you know. Romance is something that comes from you, not from an instruction booklet. No matter whether or not your wife writes it down, it doesn't, you know. So, so reason has its limitations, and we miss some of the most important things of life using, using only reason. Now, reason is certainly important, and we can never uh, uh, fail to develop that ability uh, because God uses that. Secondly, there were the um, um, those that 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 said that. Evidential experience, the empiricists, in other words, um, said that you can know the world by, by means of visible experimentation. And that which is visible is real, and that which is not visible is not real. I'm not going to mess with those things I don't know. How you learn is by your senses, by experimenting, by gathering the evidence. And many people today say, that's how I know life, is because I've experienced it. Now, again, that's a very real method of acquiring knowledge. That is one way that is very valuable in knowing what you know. But again, let me point out to you the shortcoming there. And the reason that you can't know all of life, let alone God, in that fashion. Because our experiences, our senses can fool us. They can prevent us from seeing some very important things. Let me give you an example. There are a number of, this, of women in this, in this sanctuary right now that have been treated badly by men. They have been betrayed by men to whom they owed their trust. Fathers, grandfathers, they, they have been violated. It is very difficult 
when you have gone through that experience, to say, love God the Father intimately. Because their experience tells them just the opposite. Don't trust Him. Or there is a man who could be sensitive and love you. Their experience cuts it says, no, just the opposite. No, no, don't, don't ever do that again. So you see, experience can limit us as well as give us knowledge. Then we took even a more radical turn in the 17th and 18th centuries when it came to the philosophies of Nietzsche that said, essentially, don't trust anything up there. As a matter of fact, religion makes you weak. Because it gives you an excuse not to be responsible. We must build the superman. We must build the super race of people who will be responsible. Discount God. God is dead. And then Marx after him. And John Dewey after him effectively, the founder of the modern American educational system said, discount anything that is not of use and not practical. Don't mess with it. And so here we took a turn from trying even to deal with the transcendent just to the more personal. What is of use to me? That will be of what is, what is value. Add to that the growing Eastern influence in this, in this country that while much in Eastern religions seems beautiful, there's a very dangerous bottom line of the Eastern religion, and that is that the world is nothing but change. That the universe is linked together but life is mutable. There is no independent, perfect, immutable reality. No, all of life changes. There is no transcendent God. It all works together. And, and Lao Tzu, who, who communicated the Tao, says life is yin and yang. It's give and take. It's ebb and flow. And that's how you live, just in that continual process. And many of us have discussions whether or not we can be moral without God. Well, we don't need to have that discussion. Confucius had that discussion. He, he said that you can be ethical without belief in a transcendent personal God. And so we have this now influencing our country through the New Age uh, movement and through direct uh, uh, belief in Eastern religions. And, and, I, and again, I say that there's much that is beautiful there, but it's, it's not Christian. It, it, it has a totally different philosophical base. And then lastly, we live in this country where we are taught daily that there are many different opinions, there are many different uh, beliefs, and we need to respect them all because all of them are equally deserving of our respect. Now, let me say that is absolutely correct insofar as it goes. But what we have done is elevate that belief in pluralism to a philosophy of life that says... Not only does everybody, is everybody equally entitled to their opinion, but everybody's opinion is equally correct. It is equally valid. It is equally close to the truth because you can't know the truth. And so we have gone from pluralism to individualism. Pluralism is a wonderful servant, but a bad master. When you make pluralism your God, you have no God. So therefore, here we are in this country... Now, okay, you still with me here? Wake, wake up. Elbow the person next to you. Okay, here we are in this country winding up with this philosophy. It's a philosophy that, have, that recently has been called deconstructionism. And if you don't know the word, you at least know what I will describe to you. Deconstructionism is the dismantling of the assumption that there is an independent, objective reality 
that all of us have access to. And it is replacement by everything, the reality of the world is simply your interpretation. You can never know an objective reality, it's simply how you perceive things. Now what that says, and what that has done to us, is that 50% of Americans no, no longer believe there is anything such thing as absolute truth. Or absolute right or wrong. They believe it's all a, a, an individual opinion. 42%, get this, of Americans believe, yes, Jesus was the Son of God, but he sinned. Now, where in the world did they get that? Well, what, they, what, they, what they're saying is, I want to believe in a transcendent God, but I can't do that because it doesn't seem reasonable to me that anybody could live and not sin, so I'll believe in, in, in kind of a God, but he's kind of like me. What we have wound up with, in the epistemological sense... Listen to this. A medical analogy would be epistemological leukemia. Leukemia is that production, overproduction of white blood cells that attack anything foreign in the body so that nothing can come in from the outside. And that's exactly where we are in America today. We believe that truth is within us. That if we really want to know the truth, we have to look inside the cells cause, ourselves because that's where the truth is. It's in our opinion. It's in our reason. It's in our experience. And we've gone so far in that direction that we will not permit truth coming in from an outside source. And so the protection becomes the death disease. Now, let me give you the opposite of that in what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has given us all the ability to reason. He's given us all the ability to learn from our experience. But that true knowledge comes from God. The Bible is very politically incorrect. Because the Bible and Christians, you've got to understand this. And you've got to know it up front and you've got to know it plainly. Christians say... That what the Bible teaches is true, is independent, objectively true. It's not just true for Christians, it's true for everybody. And if something disagrees with it, that something is wrong. Now, I know that makes many people uneasy. Oh, how arrogant. Well, the Bible is arrogant about that. The Bible says that Christians know God... And God can teach us directly what is true and what is not. Now, let me show you in Scripture. Here it is. Let me show you in Scripture some of the ways that, that a Christian assumes that he knows. Because a Christian assumes that if you have a relationship with God, and that relationship comes by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, so that he can take away the sin that stands in between you and God. If you don't have that relationship... Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. All you got is your reason and your experience. Period. And people who try to read this book with reason and experience will come up with either a headache or frustration so badly they'll scream and run out the room. It just looks like a big puzzle to them. Unless God is helping you understand this book and God is helping you understand this world. But let me tell you what the Bible says. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you have your scriptures with you. If you don't, I'll read it to you. 
This is epistemology 202, how Christians know about the world. How the faithful know about not only the things of heaven, but the things of earth. It says in verse 7, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. It's not given to everybody. It's not given to the world. However, not of this age, not of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they understood it, they were not, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, where does this come from? Look in verse 10. For to us, to Christians, God revealed them, those things that are prepared for us. God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, you know what this says? This says that we don't have just a little specific revelation that applies just to religious things. This says the Spirit of God searches all things. It teaches us not only how to understand eternal things, but how to understand the world. It searches all things, even the depths of God. And so therefore, don't get to the place where you're saying, well, you know what, I'm going to use one mentality to operate in the world, and I'm, not, I'm going to use my other mentality to operate in religion. This is my practical, reasonable life. This is my life of faith and my spiritual mentality. You can't do that. Because the Bible says that he gives one spirit of revelation and it's for both places. I talked with a student this week who is uh, taking a uh, college level uh, English course in high school and had written a paper on Shakespeare. And this student <coughs> excuse me, was called in by his teacher because as you know, if you love Shakespeare, you know that Shakespeare's later uh, uh, plays have the continuing Christian themes of alienation, sin, reconciliation. I, I mean, they're rife throughout these things. They have little, the little uh, devil guys, Iago and, uh, and uh, um, um, Othello is the perfect picture of, of the devil and how the devil operates. And so this student, being a Christian, pointed that out. And he made a reference in the paper... To, and it says in, in the Bible, which was written by God, and that's why I believe it, you know, so on and so forth. And the teacher called him in and said, no. In the first place, we all know the Bible was not written by God. And in the second place, don't talk about this Christian stuff in this paper. Just use your independent intellectual capabilities to make this analysis. Well, as the student was talking with me, I said to him, look... If you're just blowing Christian smoke in order not to do the intellectual work, cut it out. Because we all know Christians who will speak Christianese in order not to have to think. There's a lot of little Christian platitudes that we say to each other, but we never think. It doesn't increase our ability or our capacity to, 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 to do intellectual analysis at all. I said, so if you're doing that, cut it out and do the intellectual work you need to do, but... If this teacher is saying to you that you have to deny where your source of truth comes from and that you have to operate with this mind that is not enlightened by Christ and your, your, your perceptions don't come from Scripture, then take the lower grade and walk away. 
You cannot deny your faith. You cannot divide your life. And that's what I would say to all of us. We know what we know as Christians because God says so and the Bible says so. That's our ultimate source. And anything short of that is just operating with the little capacity we've been given. Now, let me go ahead with some of the scriptures. It says in Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, or 22, Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is the God in heaven which enlightens us. Verse 22, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Who is it that teaches us? It is God that teaches us. It says that also in John chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus is saying, Behold, I will give you the Comforter. And he will teach you all things. It is God who is our teacher. And yes, I am talking about a supernatural process. I am talking about something that transcends the earth. I am talking about something that is available to all of you who are Christians. It's not available to you if you're not a Christian. Because as it says in the book, the natural man doesn't grasp the things of the Spirit. But the spiritual man, if you want to turn back, to that passage in 1 Corinthians, the spiritual man, it says in verse 15, appraises all things. Not just spiritual things, not just religious things, all things. Okay? So, it also says then in 1 John, this is the last, uh, last scripture reference that I'll have. This isn't in your outline, by the way. It also says in 1 John this, 1 John 2.27. First of all, 225, and this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. So if we're going to be talking about eternal life, we're going to be talking about what we're taught from eternal life. And look at who teaches us. It says in verse 27, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. Now that is analogous to what we just read in 2 Timothy where it says, and there is a continuing ability that you have through the scriptures. The continuing ability to interpret the world correctly, no matter what the situation is. Now look at what it says. And you have no need for anyone to teach you these things. But as, he, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, there it is again, and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. In other words... We are taught directly by God. Does that mean that we don't have earthly teachers, earthly spiritual teachers? No. Paul just said, stand fast in what you've been taught and remember who taught you. So God uses spiritual intermediaries, but God also teaches us directly. Now, what difference does that make? Well, it makes a difference when you realize that Truth is not just an object. Truth is a relationship. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The Bible in, in, in uh, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Greek there is Logos, and Logos to the Greeks was the reason that made up all the world. 
And the world and the word was with God and the word was God. What made up all the world is a person. And what undergirds all the world is a person. And so in order to learn the truth, you've got to go to the person. And that person is beyond us. He transcends us, transcends us and our abilities, thank God. Because if he didn't, we'd be in a world of trouble. So how do you know? You go to God. And there comes a tremendous difference. You know, I talked to a bunch of Nazarenes this week. We, there was a, there's a teaching. There's, this is really cool. This, the, the Nazarene denomination has a uh, um, kind of a three-year uh, school that, that Nazarene pastors from all over the nation part, partake in. And this school is to teach these pastors of very successful churches, growing churches, how to manage a large church. And so they uh, have a little school, and every year they invite in a keynote, keynote speaker. And, and this year they invited me in, and I felt very privileged. But after I got there, I, I felt very embarrassed. Even though I teach this in seminary, and, and I feel emb- embarrassed in my seminary class. And let me tell you why. Because, yes, it's important to learn management principles. But unless you hear from God directly on which of those are applicable to any situation, you will fail. So here I am standing in front of 70, the 70 most successful Nazarene pastors in this nation. I'm standing there feeling embarrassed that I'm taking advantage of them. They're paying me a bunch of money for this. And I'm standing up there, and this is what I say to them. Pray. Pray until you can hear from God. Read Scripture. Read Scripture until you not only have a grasp of it, but it has a grasp of you. Now, you don't need me to say that. Any elementary school kid could say that. That's why the wisdom of God confounds... I'm sorry, yeah, the, the wisdom of God confounds the wise and is spoken by the foolish. You know what? There is no other source. There is no other ability than that ability which comes from God directly. Yes, we need to use our, our intellectual abilities. We need to learn. I read all kinds of books all the time. But without my direct communication from God, I'm sunk. I absolutely don't know how to operate life. I don't know what's important. I don't know what's eternal. Pray. That's the source. That's the importance. Somebody called me up this week from, from uh, a magazine. She was writing a magazine article, Aspire magazine. I never heard of it. But <clears throat> she was writing an article that I thought was very interesting. The article was this. Is there a difference between intuition and the discernment of the, of the operation of the Holy Spirit in you. And I thought that was interesting. And I'm struggling with this. And I said, well, I do believe there's a difference. And she said, what's the difference? And I said, and I try to think, because I've always operated intuitively. I try to think of my own experience. And I said, you know what? When I was a non-believer, I had accurate intuition. I could... I could kind of talk with somebody a few minutes and just kind of pick up through unexplainable gifting kind of how they were wired and whether or not they were like I was and whether or not I could have a very successful relationship with them. And usually I was pretty accurate. 
And that's the way, that's the way a lot of you, a lot of you have that gifting, by the way. You know, you just, you talk with somebody a few minutes and you can just size them up just like that and you're right 90% of the time. My wife's scary with this, at this stuff. She really is. But you know what? I said before I was a Christian, I just knew how people were wired and who to stay away from. After I became a Christian, when the Holy Spirit began to live in me, and when I began to have a living relationship with Christ, my ability not only increased, but I could see why people were wired like they were. The purpose that God had for their lives, and the purpose that God had in the kingdom for them, and I could see how I needed them. And I could glorify God because he had made them like he had for a purpose. You see the difference? One, you can kind of see how the world operates, and the other, you can see why it operates like it does, and how resident God is, and you can worship. Now, that's what happens when we increase our relationship with God, and when he becomes the source of our knowledge, and scriptures become the source of our knowledge. I never knew before I read the scriptures that differences were supposed to work together. I thought it was some silly platitude that, yeah, yeah, cooperate, just like brothers get along with sisters. I didn't know that God had this big plan. But I read the scriptures and I discovered this, and all of a sudden I see the world in all different ways. So, this is what I bring to you this morning. Very simple. For those of you who are still awake, listen to this. We know what we know because God reveals it to us. We are not to slack off on our intellectual capabilities nor learning from our experience. But that only takes us so far and you can never know God through that method. It comes up way short. The only way you can know God is when he gives you a knowledge of himself through faith. And then you can only know about the world when he teaches you about the world himself and through the scriptures. Let me end up by saying this. I, I got a new computer uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm not, I'm not a mechanical type person. But I like to do word processing and I, and I, and I asked uh, 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 to get a computer that, that would let me surf the net. I love doing research, and I want to access libraries, and I just haven't got the time to run all over the place, so I really want to access the libraries. And, and so here I'm sitting with this thing, this thing. And, I, and all I've done is a little word processing before on, a, you know, you know, on, on an old uh, uh, dinosaur thing. You know, and here's this 486 Super ZX turbocharged <laughs> double cam, whatever. Now... I've called up somebody and asked them to come in and teach me about this because, I, I, as I said at this thing, I thought there's a, there's a couple of ways I can, I can go here. Number one, I can just turn it on and start pressing things, see what comes up, and, and then try to reason this thing through. You know, try to analyze it and say, well, if this does this, maybe this does this, and, you know, try to think my way through it. Well, I would make some progress doing that, but it would be very slow, and, and it probably wouldn't get me very far. The next thing I could do with it is, and by the way, that, that would be analogous to the rationalists, the spot types. 
Next thing I could do is just turn it on and start pressing everything and see what makes a mistake and not do the mistakes again. You know, just see what comes up and try to remember what my experience is. And again, that would take me some, some way, but not very far. That's the way most people operate in the world. There is a third way, however, and that's the way I've been talking about this morning. And it's the way that the Christians know the world. It's the way Christians know what they know. And that is the absolute best way I could learn about that computer is to sit down with the maker of the computer and have him or her explain to me how they made this thing and why they made it like they did and how I'm, I could best operate in it according to my role. Now, I can't do that with my computer, but you can do it with the world. And second only to that is to have the maker sit down and explain the manual to me. And that is also something you can do with the world. So that's how a Christian knows what he knows. He gets it directly from God, or he just doesn't get it. Pray with me. God, I know this had to be terribly boring for an awful lot of people, but I believe your, your, your spirit can work even in this atmosphere. And I believe that there may be people in here this morning who just for the first time discovered that they would never reason their way to understanding the world. They would never reason their way to believing in you. They have to ask you for the gift of faith. They have to ask you for the relationship with you because that's a gift from you. So, Father, I pray that you will give to those who wanted a relationship with you this morning. Help somebody get saved by having them pray this prayer. God, my sin stands in the way of me and you. I don't want it there. I know I can't earn my way out of my sin. I can't pay for my own sins, but I know Christ died to pay for my sins. And so I accept his gift. And I apply his righteousness to myself. And I want you to come and live in my life and help me to see the world as you see it. I'm so tired, God, of asking why and never coming up with an answer. I'm so tired of things going on and and my inability to comprehend the big picture. I want to see the big picture. Help me to have the mind of Christ. And that last part of that prayer, God, we all pray. Even though we have we have said that salvation prayer years ago, maybe. We just pray that you will continue to help us to have the mind of Christ. Teach us through supernatural means, through revelation, specific revelation, how and why this world operates and how we can serve you in it. Teach us through our prayer life and teach us through the scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, stand up. <laughs> okay? Now reach down and wake those up who, are, who aren't standing right now. Here's how we're going to end this thing up. The scriptures are truly the, the source we have of eternal wisdom. And so 
we thought that it would be great to have at the close of this service some readings that talk out of the scriptures about the qual- that quality in the scriptures. So Vernon's going to read this and we're all going to repeat scripture together. We'll read it together including the reference. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. 1 Peter 1, 24-25 The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Psalm 12, 6 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. The sum of thy word is truth, and every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalm 119, 160. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, 89. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. Let's sing together.